In June 2013, I stood overlooking Niagara Falls. It was probably the most amazing experience that I have ever had. The sheer volume of water hurtling over the edge, the noise created as the river cascaded down the rock face was deafening and unending. Added to that was the spray, produced by colliding forces blurring the distinctive edges of the bank, producing miniature rainbows when the sun peeped out. I was rooted to the spot. The drama unfolding before me was breathtaking. The beauty indescribable as natural elements combine to produce a scene that I will never forget. My experience at Niagara was overwhelming and I was exhilarated. Having looked at my photographs from that day, I can still hear the noise of the falls. And so with a similar degree of being drawn in with amazement, I approach today's reading. This section has been my personal prayer at some point every week for a while now. So as we continue to progress through Ephesians, I've been inspired by Paul's passion for these young churches. He desires that they embrace all that God's love has brought to them. And we've been introduced to some of these themes that are in the chapters leading up to this point. John Vellicott explained for us in the first part of this chapter what the mystery is, how it has been revealed in Jesus, and that we all can share in it. Barriers have been removed and salvation is for all. What a shocking statement for those who clung to the idea of being the chosen people. And what a tremendous revelation to those who never imagined that they would be included and welcomed into the kingdom of God. It's overwhelming for all. This is Paul's prayer for them and it's for us too. I find that Paul is passionate for the churches in this area. They're very much on his heart and so in prison he prays for them. It is very much a prayer for the power to apply the truths of the good news. Tim explained to us how having been reconciled to God, how that should remove the barriers that we have erected in society. Neil reminded us of grace and I still adhere to the mnemonic from childhood of God's riches at Christ's expense as I think that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about being in Christ. These few verses that we've read are a transitional point in Ephesians. Having explained how rich God's gifts are, Paul then moves on to explain how grasping all the riches of Christ should influence our behaviour. And so we come to Paul's prayer, which I've divided into four sections. His introduction, the inner life, the depth of understanding and the doxology. For this reason he says, reminding them of what he has explained. For this reason, I kneel, I bow my knees before the Father. Straight away, we're drawn to worship as we picture Paul praying on his knees in prison. This was not the usual posture of Jewish men in prayer. Usually, they would stand with hands raised. Bowing his knees was a gesture of humility by Paul a recognition of his place before God. In the face of the greatness and glory of God, he is overwhelmed. 
just as we should be overwhelmed at the grace offered to us in Jesus. So how do we pray? Here at OBC, we tend to sit. Sometimes we stand to pray. We close our eyes, maybe, and bow our heads. And if we think back to our childhood days, we were probably taught, put your hands together and close your eyes. And we may have knelt beside our bed. Some churches have a tradition of kneeling for prayer with kneeling pads to soften the move. Occasionally I do kneel if I feel really overwhelmed by God. But here is Paul, in humility, overwhelmed that by all that God has done in Christ for all of us. The phrase, taking the knee, has come to mean something different in current society. It has become a way of making a stand against racism. Maybe a protest at the injustices faced by so many. But Paul is already there in asserting that there are no barriers in Christ. In fact, he goes on to remind us that we are all one family in heaven and on earth. Barriers, fences, hedges, etc. have been removed. For Paul... The division between Jew and Gentile has gone. As he later says, there's no division between male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. Unity is the order of the day. The Ephesian church would have felt the conflict of cultures. Jewish Christians seeking to grasp the freedom of Jesus from the Jewish law and to know the life in the spirit. And the Gentile Greek Christians setting aside the worship of Artemis and the desire for wisdom, trade and debate. You can read that story in Acts 19. So, Paul kneels to pray. And we can do this too to give God glory and make us less important. It's an attitude of the heart as well as a physical gesture. It's an attitude of worship and acknowledgement of who God is. There are many references in the Bible to kneeling in prayer, particularly Psalm 95 and verse 6. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Daniel knelt to pray. Stephen knelt in prayer at his martyrdom. But why did they kneel? They were both in difficult situations, but it seems like an acknowledgement of their reliance on God. Their heart is focused on God and all that they have in him. In Philippians 2 verse 10, we're reminded that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So how about us? How often do we feel overwhelmed by God and his love for us? How often do we acknowledge who God is rather than have a list of requests? It's a place to begin where the wise men did, kneeling before Jesus. And now in verse 14, Paul moves on to his request for the inner life, the life in the spirit. He asks for strength, not physical strength, but with the power that is from the Holy Spirit. It is to be inside us, the inner person, our soul, our being, our thoughts, our mindset. And it's a gift. There are no strings attached and no limits because it comes from the riches of the Father It is abundant in the lavishness of God. God offers us his strength through the Holy Spirit. 
It's an ongoing process, not a one-off experience. Perhaps, is it us who puts limits on what God will do in us? Are we asking specifically for God to be at work in us? What about those times when we struggle, when we need the inner strength that Paul is praying for? Do we remember the riches of being in Christ to do, as we will see later, more than we can ask for or imagine? Can we remind ourselves and encourage each other of all that God has given and will give us? I was reminded whilst praying of the story and, pre- and preparing for this, of the story of the prodigal son. And I felt I should include it at this point. It may be an encouragement to someone here this morning. The father speaks to the elder son in response to his complaints. Son, you are always with me and all that's mine is yours. Some of us at times have identified with this older son, haven't we? I was struck by those words as they reminded me of what Paul is telling these young Christians, that all the riches of Christ are for them. So take it on board if you need to. And then he goes on to ask that we will be indwelt with Christ, that Christ will be living in us and have a home, a permanent home by faith in Jesus. Again, it's active and it's ongoing. He uses a phrase we're familiar with, Christ in our hearts through faith. Sometimes we refer to this saying, ask Jesus into your heart or Jesus is living in me. It's terminology we're familiar with. But we need to be cautious about making this just an individual response. Paul is at pains to remind us of being part of the family of God brings us into Christ. He wants us also to be rooted in love. It's a horticultural picture of something living. Now, I like my garden. I like to have something in colour throughout the year, even in the depths of winter. I'll go out and I'll look to see what would seem to be bare shoots, but I notice that already buds are swelling. I've got evergreens, shrubs and perennials, And these are the plants with stronger, deeper roots, and they grow on year by year. Paul wants us, likewise, to grow in understanding and experiencing the love of God. It's love that feeds us. So where are we putting our roots down? And what do we feed them with so that they grow? And likewise, he says we are to be grounded in love. Now, many of you know that I had a new kitchen this year which was extended, but before any new walls could go in, foundations needed to be dug out. At the end of the first day, I stood gazing down in what seemed to me a very deep trench. It was about a metre deep, so perhaps not so deep, but I'm only 1.6 metres tall, so if I'd fallen in it, I would have struggled to get out. (laughs) But it needed to be strong enough to support a new wall. To me, it seemed bigger than it was warranted, but I'm assured by the experts that it was necessary. Now, that foundation is there, holding up the wall, unseen. Paul wanted the Christians in Ephesus to be stable and strong, knowing that the love of God would hold them tight, if it would carry the weight when their and our faith is tested. 
Chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians remind us of all that God in Jesus has done for us. We need to remember that God loves us unconditionally, that the riches of his glory are always available to us. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, what are the building blocks of our faith? What or who do we lean on for strength? What are our foundations and are they strong enough? It's true, we only get to know that in times of testing, but, we ha- but have we put the groundwork in beforehand? And then in our third section, Paul goes on to pray that our understanding will be of just how great God's love is and seems to say that it's so great that it surpasses knowledge. We keep learning and growing in our understanding But it's not an individual experience. It is with all the family of God. That for us might start small, perhaps with the prayer partner. And then a small group setting, worshipping together with our church family and so on. We can also engage with the wider church through all the media outlets today, as well as magazines and books. But it is with all the saints an inclusive phrase across cultures and nations and races. To know more of the love of God and to understand we need each other. If we return to my original picture of Niagara and just how powerful that memory and experience is for me, I was overwhelmed by the speed, the noise, the volume of the water, the vastness of Horseshoe Falls, the height and depths in front of me. I could have stayed there all day just watching, watching green water rush over the cataract. To drop 187 feet at the speed of 85,000 cubic feet per second and across the 2,590 feet of Horseshoe Falls. These are only statistics. The breadth, the length, the height and depth are statistics also. But Paul's use of these measurements for God's love is to emphasise every aspect of the dimension to the love of God. God's capacity is endless, and he wants us to be filled up to the top with God dwelling in us by his spirit. When I was thinking about this, I had a picture of different containers, all different shapes, sizes, colours, materials, but all overflowing, all filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to be used by God. This section reveals to me the overwhelming nature of the love of God and Christ prays that we too may be filled with all his fullness. I said at the beginning that I often use this as a personal prayer and I do this by changing the pronouns to personalise them. It's something you might like to do from time to time. It's okay to do this and to pray in this way to make it for you, which is what I try to do. But as we move into our final section, to what we know as the doxology, Paul turns his focus back to God in praise. He reminds us of what he has been praying for us in these verses. His power is in us. It will accomplish what God wants. It will be more than we ask for. It will stretch our imagination. 
God will answer our greatest requests and it will last through all generations. And so we close by giving him praise and glory, which can be seen in Christ Jesus and in the church. I'm going to ask you to do something and to join with me now. So if we can have... Oh, we've got it already, thank you. Could we stand? And after we've read this together, we're going to sing, not I, but Christ in me. So can we say together? Now to him, who by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly or more than all we could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Amen. Thank you.